Hey guys, it's your friend Extra Arguello, the host of the San Marcos Scoop. I hope you all had a fantastic week and I hope you all had a safe, and eventful, and enjoyable 4th of July yesterday. Now, I was extremely busy at work this week. There's a lot going on, but I still wanted to get an episode out for you all. And today on the San Marcos Scoop, I will be interviewing Mr. Peter Shearhart, who is the Associate Dean of the Honors College at Texas State University. Now, Peter and I are actually collaborating to host a forum in the fall where we're going to have a city official, some university officials, and some experts to talk about transit and mobility here in San Marcos. That forum will also center around discussions on how we bridge the gap between students and the permanent residents of the city in a more harmonious and positive environment. So be on the lookout for that forum this fall. Peter sat down with me this week to talk about transportation, and I know we've talked about transportation a lot on the show, but I thought he'd be a really interesting person to talk to to get his perspective on how the city and the university can move forward on our transportation and environmental and housing issues. Now, Peter has traveled across the world lived in a lot of different cities across the country, and although he's not an expert in urban planning or transportation, he does have a lot of experience with these topics. So I hope you all enjoyed this episode. In the next few weeks, be on the lookout for some election content. Yes, election season is rolling around once again, and we've had a few candidates already announce their bid for public office. All right, that's enough rambling for me. Hope you all enjoy the show. I'll see you next week. You work in the Honors College, um, which is kind of different than what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about a lot of transportation, mm-hmm. um, things of that nature. But how long have you been at the Honors College, and uh, how long have you been in San Marcos? Yeah, I have been at the Honors College for about a year and a half now. Uh, I've lived in San Marcos for a few months. Okay. Um, I moved down here from central New York. I was living outside of Syracuse mm. for five years. And uh, yeah, so far so good. I've really enjoyed my time here. I think yeah. it's a it's a great staff that I work with, amazing people at the university. It's um, it's been a lot of fun. You know, I know you said you've been here for a few months. Yeah. You've been here, you've been at the university for a year and a half. Yeah. Which means that before you were living in San Marcos, you had yeah. to live somewhere. So yeah. where were you at? I was in New Braunfels. Okay. For, for um, the first year and a, year and a few months. Right. Um, and I grew up in Houston, actually, mm. in the suburbs of Houston. Why did you move to New, well, why did you decide that you needed to move from New, from New Braunfels, right? A, mm-hmm. a, a commuter city in a lot of ways. Yeah. To San Marcos. Well, New Braunfels is a very beautiful place. And we were living in central New Braunfels. Mm. Uh, we were within walking distance of the parks and, yeah. you know, just a beautiful place. But uh, it was the first time in my life that I've, that I've had to commute to my work by car. Mm. And in that sense, it was really awful. Like it was the most awful year of my life in that way. I loved where I was living. I loved the location. Like that was great. But um, when I was in New York, I was able to bike to work. I biked to work when it was 20 below zero and snowing and there was ice on the roads. You know, I I biked in all weather conditions. Um, Before I was in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, when I was doing my doctoral work, um, and we lived close enough to, enough to campus that I would bike, take the bus or whatever. I would hardly ever use my car. So really, when we moved down here, this was the first time I've had to get in a car every morning. And after about the first year of that, I was like, this is not going to work. Really? This is this is too much. I get home. I'm wasting an hour and a half of my life every day in a car. Um, and what I, 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 I do, I always joke with my partner that I, I kind of optimize my life at all times. I'm mm. always timing myself to see which elevator is faster and, you know, all right. that sort of stuff. And I'll take the, I'll take the faster elevator. Um, so I was noticing as I was optimizing that it would take me 15 to 20 minutes to get to the freeway after work. Um, from Texas State. From Texas State. Mm. So, you know, I, I paid for the red 
parking pass, you know, yeah. the, the quote unquote good parking pass, but it would take me 20 minutes just to get on the freeway. And then it was 20 minutes on the freeway and then it was 10 minutes into town. So really it was way more time than it should have been right. um, just getting home, um, just getting to the freeway to get home. And I was like, you know, with that amount of time, I could be home hmm. already if I was living in San Marcos. So you all decided to make the jump yeah. to try to find a place to live in San Marcos. Yeah. Somewhere where you can bike yep. to and from. And, you know, I was outside waiting for you and you came in on a bike. Um, mm -hmm. So you do live really close uh, to campus. Yeah. What has that been like for you? Oh, it's been great. It's It, it feels more like I'm living the life that I'm used to living. You know, it's a, it's a on average 12 minute bike ride from my house to the, to the elevator that I need to use at, right. at Lampasas Hall. Uh, so it's really efficient. Um, it's fast. Uh, I've timed it with my car some days when I'm too lazy or I have to take some cargo up to the office. Um, it, it, it's almost dead even with the car. By the time you get in the car, park the car and walk to the office, biking is, is, Dead even. When I think of the university, when I think of faculty at the university, I think, well, a, a large portion probably live in Austin, San Antonio, New Braunfels, commute in. Mm -hmm. But what you were telling me actually is that we're seeing a, a lot less of them coming in from outside, mm -hmm. you know, in mm -hmm. the bigger cities and actually moving to this area. Of the eight or nine of us in the office, it depends how you count. Um, there are two of us that, that bike on a regular basis. Mm. Um, there's a third who occasionally walks. Two others live in San Marcos, so their commute is very short. Mm. So um, I can't remember where uh, the sixth is living. There are a couple who live in Austin. Um, but, you know, that's that's between five and six people who, who live in town and or yeah. walk and bike to work, which is phenomenal. And uh, do you feel like we're seeing more faculty choose that route? You know, I suspect a lot of faculty look at San Marcos and see the same things I see. And, and, you know, there aren't a lot of small, affordable houses. We just kind of got lucky when we were looking um, to find something that fit what we needed yeah. in a location that we needed. And um, my sense is that is that, you know, if there were more houses that that fit the needs of faculty, that they would live here. And when we talk about fit the needs of faculty, what, what kind of housing products are we talking about? I mean, in your mind, are we talking single family? Are we mm -hmm. talking more condos, townhomes? You know, well, what do we need to be doing so faculty can actually live in this town? Well, I mean, faculty salaries, it, despite the stereotypes, um, for the most part, faculty aren't making six-figure salaries. They're, right. they're kind of middle-income people. Um, but a lot of the single-family homes especially are, are pretty expensive, and they're outside the budget of, of you know, the average faculty salary. So we, yeah, this is just my opinion. This is, this is yeah. not Texas state opinion or anything like that, but you know, we need more options for housing types. Um, especially people of my generation, I think are, are open to living in more urban settings, uh, condos, downtown apartments, that sort of thing. Millennial, older millennial generation that I'm a part of, uh, uh, is okay with that idea. We don't necessarily need the, the gardens and the lawns and all of that. Some of us like that stuff still, but right. I think we're more open to housing types. Um, and I think San Marcos has pretty well developed down the path of standalone single family housing. Um, so a diversity of types of housing. Um, I think density is also a good thing. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a part of, I would call the study abroad generation. You know, when I was in college, yeah. this, this was, this became a thing right. you would, you know, you'd go abroad and see a different country and then come back and learn from the experience. And, uh, you know, a lot of us have gone to Europe 
uh, you know, we're in our we're in our late thirties now, and you know, we've seen that there's a different way to live, and there's no there's no reason that we can't make those same choices that they're making. And and to paint a picture, what is the European model versus you know the standard American model that we have been um, accustomed to, and and do we need to be adopting some of those things? Uh, well, I mean, I'm not an urban urban studies. Uh, specialist, but I mean, from what I've, I've observed, is that cities are typically smaller and more dense. There's a focus on walkability, bikeability, public transit, buses or trains. Less interest in cars, partly because cars are more expensive there than they are here. But right, and there's also things like gas taxes that are right. really high in, in Europe as well. Yeah, but I think the the main thing is that they promote choice in transit and they help people make decisions about what mode makes sense for the trip they're going to make. Mm. So if it's a trip down to the corner to get groceries or to get a bottle of wine or whatever you're getting, um, you don't necessarily need to get in a car for that if it's just a light trip. Um, if you're going a longer distance and you're going to a city center, uh, it may not be that a car is the best choice. Maybe you want to take a train because you're not going to need a car when you get there. But, um, for for all sorts of reasons, the American, you know, city planners and politicians yeah. have decided that you know basically cars are the only choice. So, I, I think more options is is better. You know, transit choice is something we should be thinking really hard about. That's going to be a challenge. Uh, you're from the Houston suburbs. Um, I'm sure you saw that all the time. I mean, the car is is your life. Yeah, I hated it. I hated <laughs> living in the suburbs. I hated having the car be my life. You know, the first chance I got, I lived inside the city of Houston. I was living near Buffalo Bayou before, you know, the trails had been done and the landscaping. Right. Like now, Buffalo Bayou is a beautiful place. When I was there, it was a swamp. Yeah. But even still being close in the city made my life better. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, the suburbs dominate in Houston. They dominate in, in central Texas too. But DFW as well. Yeah, it's terrible. But, but I'm a product of that and I hated it. So huh. I suspect there are a lot of people like me who see a bike as a a path to freedom, you know, mm. um, or a path, at least a choice, um, a different, a different, more active lifestyle. As far as uh, university students living at the university, like I did, mm -hmm. I didn't pay attention to the city of San Marcos until I wrote at the school paper. And that's when I just mm -hmm. really started picking it up. Um, like, wow, there's a city that actually exists here. And I know to people listening, that might sound stupid, but there are a lot of students up there who are just worried about making sure that they get through their college experience. For sure. Um, but it wasn't until, you know, I was thrown into that mix that I started to engage myself in city politics and what kind of goes around here. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right. We don't have enough participation from students and I don't think it's a fault of the students. I think it's just inevitably how university life is mm -hmm. where, um, they're in a bubble up in that hill. Um, and I think to some people, you know, they look at the university as just a bubble Yeah, and we have to bridge that gap between the people who live here very long term and those who, you know, live here for four years and might want to stay. We can't look at them as students and people who live here. We have to look at them as people who, you know, we're all residents in San Marcos. And that, that's mm -hmm. going to be a challenge. Some students are overwhelmed. Maybe they're first generation college. They're not sure what to expect. And, and this is a, this is an ordeal, you know, yeah. they're, they're finding their way through, but I suspect most of them by the time they reach junior or senior year, have kind of figured out how it works and they're learning how to be citizens and contribute to the democratic process. You know, there have been a lot of academic studies that show students learn a lot outside of the classroom. So there's certainly classroom learning that goes on. Co-curricular learning and community-based learning is really, really important. And 
you know, you can you can lecture to a student about how democracy works. You can tell them um, how to engage in a, in government open comment periods right. for, but actually getting them to engage with it is more pertinent, uh, more powerful because they can learn by doing. So by the time they are juniors and seniors, we think, or I certainly think that they're they're ready to engage in some of these more powerful conversations. Um, and if they stay in town, that's great because they already know who some of the players are. But yeah. you know, if they if they go off to Dallas, they go off to Austin, wherever they're going, um, they at least know how it works and they know that people really do care about what they say, whether it's at a city council meeting or just some sort of open forum. Um, yeah. So the, the sooner we can get that integrated into our experience for honors students and for college students more broadly, I think that's a, that's a success. How do other university towns do it? Um, Ooh, there are a yeah. lot of university towns throughout the nation who are probably struggling with the same problems we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, they call San Marcos a quote unquote college town. I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily fond of the word college town. I think that's disingenuous to everything else the city's doing, but surely other, you know, universities are, are trying to look at this. How do we bridge that gap? I was in a very small town in, in central New York and there was a lot of uh, mixed opinions about the role college students play. Really? You know, the college, the college population about equal the town population. Mm. So when students showed up, it doubled in size. Um, there, there was, some uneasiness between the city and and the university. And when I was in Virginia, uh, it was sort of the same thing from what I remember, especially in the early 2000s when I was there. Uh, they were building a lot of new student housing, uh, and that was causing prices to go up on on property. It, I think it's always an uneasy thing when you have when you have a kind of seasonal population that comes and goes. You'd think that people would embrace students. I certainly love having students in town. I think it's a fabulous thing. It brings life and energy to the community. But I think a lot of people see it as, you know, they're just, they're coming, they're taking, and they're leaving. And I think that, I think that's something the community can learn as well, that, you know, they're, they're coming and going, yes, but they're also bringing with them their identities, their traditions, their Their money, their money for sure. Yeah. Students, you know, it's a great economic base. I know we were talking about this before, but where you live, you would have a dream of building uh, accessory dwelling. I don't know if that's yeah, yeah. the right term. Yeah, um, we've been looking at this since we moved in. Uh, it's one of the reasons we we bought the property we did. It's on a fairly big lot. And um, when we were in Virginia uh, and, and I was in graduate school, one of the best things about the neighborhood we lived in was was the, the mixture of people that lived there. Um, it was an old neighborhood, a historic neighborhood, uh, but m- many of the houses had cottages in the backyard mm. that were rented to graduate students at the university. And uh, it really brought a sense of vibrancy to the neighborhood. And it also brought a sense of family to the students who were living, you know, away from home. And so when we bought this property here in town, we were like, this is, this would be ideal for the auxiliary dwelling unit because we love students. We would love to have, you know, one living in our backyard. It increases density in the neighborhood. This person would be able to bike to campus. It seems like it's a win-win for everybody. So as far as, you know, relations, did you feel like relations got better in Virginia because students were living, you know, near single family properties? I think they did in our particular neighborhood. Um, it's called the Fry Spring neighborhood, Mm. um, in Charlottesville. And, uh, you know, everyone stayed really close. We're still very friendly, uh, with our neighbors there. Uh, we stay in touch. We send Christmas cards, that whole thing. So I think it helps to build a community. I think it gives students um, a sense that they're a part rather than just a visitor. So I think it's it's great. I mean, on a more theoretical level, I think 
we have to figure out how to encourage diversity of uses, not just not just take a, a housing type and copy and paste it over and over down the block. But in our neighborhood, even in San Marcos, it would be great to have a little bodega at the corner, mm. you know, have a little corner store where we could go and, and grab some essentials if we run out. Um, you know, finding ways to bring economic activity into the neighborhoods, I think, is essential for making them livable. Um, and we were lucky to have that in Charlottesville as well. But uh, I think that's kind of level two of, mm. of you know, creating a, a vibrant city. Yeah, you see that all over uh, in California where I'm from. You have corner stores mm-hmm. in neighborhoods basically where people keep, people walk and grab like small groceries or whatever they need for the day or, like you said, essentials. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's going to be a real challenge if you're really into the single family mindset, mm-hmm. right? If you've, this is what you've grown into, suburbia lifestyle, if you will. And all of a sudden your next door neighbor wants to build like a tiny home or something that might be difficult for someone to accept that. And if you were talking to somebody like that, how do you sell that? You know, how, how do you, how do you tell somebody, look, th- this could be a, a net positive for our community, not a negative to have more people living um, in our single family neighborhoods. I don't know if they can be convinced. Mm. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I see, you know, more eyes in the community which means you're probably living in a safer place. Uh, you can look out for each other. You can look out, you know, you read even Jane Jacobs uh, on on what it's like to live in big cities. Everyone looks after each other. Um, if somebody's out of town or they're at work and their kids are home, you can you can keep an eye on them when, you know, even yeah. if they're not yours. So I think having more, more eyes in neighborhoods is good. Having more people in neighborhoods is good. Um, it also reduces traffic too. My gosh, if, if you can take a few cars off the road because people can sub- now bike or walk to work, uh, that means that you don't have to worry about getting stuck in traffic. So I think there are, there are trickle down benefits of, of having denser, uh, denser neighborhoods as well. And in terms of, of single family and developing multifamily, if you will, on single family, mm-hmm. that's a trend we're seeing all across the world. Yeah. Um, however, we've seen that kind of be a, a controversial topic here in this city. Mm-hmm. We have neighborhoods who don't want that multifamily and single family? Are we just going to have to adapt like other cities have across the world and incorporate multifamily and single family? Some cities have gone as far as banning single family. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know if that's a terrible idea. Uh, Really? I'm not the biggest fan of single family in general. Uh, uh, And I guess it depends how you define single family too, but but I've read of all sorts of underlying discriminatory motivations behind single family zoning that make me very uncomfortable. I don't I don't like the idea that this was, you know, used as a as a means as to a segregation, segregate right. population. I think that's if that's true, it's terrible and that's good enough reason to ban it right now. Yeah. <laughs> Just to make sure that that's not hmm. not the case. But I think there's a lot you can do. I mean you you could just reduce lot size requirements and increase density without saying, you know, you have to share a wall. I mean, right. I think that's fine. You can go to a lot of really beautiful cities where people share walls. The American ideal is not to share a wall. And right, I, get, right. I get it. Like, I get why that's the American ideal. And I think there are clever things you can do around that. But I, I don't know if it's inevitable. Who knows? Mm. I, I, I would just like to see more density, more walkability, more bikeability, um, get people to think differently about how they live their life, how much time they're spending and wasting in a car when... You know, you could live a more active lifestyle. I've seen all sorts of reports uh, that I, I, I can't I can't reference because I don't have the reference in my head. But uh, in in the Netherlands, for instance, uh, I've seen some reports that suggest driving in your car for for a kilometer costs sixty seven you know yeah. cents, and biking a kilometer earns twenty seven cents because 
there are health benefits, there are environmental benefits, and if you're driving, there are health costs and environmental costs. So we we found ways to analyze movement, transportation, and environment that externalize a lot. And if we would start to consider those as part of our decision-making process, when we choose to tra- you know to use a certain form of transit, I think we would come to different conclusions about what's best for us and best for our families. You've been here a year and a half. The town has grown a lot in the past four or five years that I've been mm-hmm. here. In the next four or five years, who knows what it's going to look like. Um, I know it might be hard for you to predict, but yeah. I always ask people to when they come on the show, um, in five or ten years, where do you see this city? Where do you see the university? Well, I, well, I don't know where I see the university. I think, uh, I think they've grown so much. I think it's been amazing to see what's happened. You know, I remember, um, you know, when it was Southwest Texas and I was in high school and, you know, it's changed just so much since then. So who knows what's going to happen to the city? Um, when I bike around, I see a lot of empty lots and I see a lot of older houses and I know that they charge, um, you know, pretty steep rent for places that don't look like they're top, top rent dollar. Um, property. So I would love to see some infill build. I would love to see some renovation of properties to make sure that people are paying good money for good properties um, and living in safe places. Um, I'd love to, you know, just because it seems like growth and sprawl is almost inevitable, but just, you know, even then the city isn't that big. You can bike almost anywhere in town in under 10 minutes. Yeah, um, it's, it's pretty, if you're talking about, I mean, if the farthest you want to go to is like the big H-E-B. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, to the square or to Target. Like, that span is not... It's super, not terrible. It's not super far. No, and there are ways that you can make that bikeable in particular um, without having to add a lot of roadway. Um, so just because you're you're expanding a bit and filling in some empty spots um, doesn't mean you should build more roads. I think there are, there are alternative ways of encouraging people to, to get around the city. So I would think I think that would be great. On the road, off road bike lanes, um, you know, more, more, I guess, right of way given to bikes. Yeah. Um, more pedestrian friendly yeah. roadways. Yeah. I think that would be, that would be great. Um, I'd, I mean, personally, I'd love to see uh, a better bus system in town. It's yeah. a small enough place. Um, the bus system that I've seen this is like a good start, but um, it's, it doesn't run frequently enough. It doesn't make, logical stops or a route that really makes sense. It doesn't integrate well with the university bus system. And those are things I think would have to be tweaked a bit for it to really be usable. And, and the numbers for the bus system is pretty low too. Yeah. Um, we're not seeing it like compared to the university bus system, for example. Right. Not seeing a lot of, um, a lot of use come from, from the bus system. Yeah. They're, they're definitely, you know, trying to have eff- the efforts being made to try to vamp up um, the city bus system. Um, but you know, that, that's always been a concern too, for people here, but are we seeing more people bike? Do you see a lot more people, uh, biking uh, or, or is it just not enough compared to other places you've been to? I see, I see quite a number of people biking. Really? Um, I saw three just on my way in oh, this wow. afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Um, I see them almost every day I go home. I see them anytime I go out really. Uh, uh I'd love to see more. And you know, there's, there's this, um, there's this concept in the UK in particular called the mammal, M-A-M-I-L, the middle-aged man in Lycra uh, phenomenon. <laughs> uh, I actually don't see a lot of that. Hmm. I, I do see a lot of – the alternative to the mammal is just the person in normal clothes going to work as opposed to the kind of the racer-type person. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Uh, so 
I think the more the more regular people in normal clothes going to work, going about their regular business, I mean that that's a good sign. Where they're not looking like Lance Armstrong right. down the street. They're just normal people. They're just using this as a way to get around because it's probably five times faster than walking and about the same as driving. If somebody is considering selling their car, who lives in the city, who says, you know what, I live close enough to the grocery store, I live close enough to wherever I need to go. Selling a car based on our mindsets, our paradigms is, is, is a very difficult task at hand to get rid of something that is so ingrained in our lives. Mm-hmm. What's, the, what's some advice you would give them about taking a bike and um, how, how, how do you convince somebody to say this is the, you know, the right step for you? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm that guy. I mm-hmm. mean, my partner is selling his car now. Um, I leased a car when, when I was in New York and it's coming off lease next year. I'm very seriously considered not... Uh, not renewing the lease or getting a new one or buying off the car or whatever. Um, mostly because I do most of what I need to do on bike. Um, and if I'm going a longer distance, then there are alternatives, um, like Zipcar. Uh, we, I think campus maybe has two or three Zipcars. Yeah, cars. they do. Yeah, I've seen so them there. So they could have more. I think that would be great. And you look at, what is it, cars to go up mm-hmm. in Austin. That's a pretty big thing. Um, so if you need, if you need a car to go a longer distance, then there are ways to get it. And I think that's what multimodal transportation choice is about. It's about choosing the transportation medium that makes most sense for your trip. Mm. So if you need to spend the day in Austin, you can rent a zip car. I, you know, and I could bike 10 minutes to get the zip car and spend the day in Austin. And if you calculate the number of hours that I would need that zip car, the number of miles that I would drive and the, you know, the fact that like zip car includes insurance and gas, and you, then you calculate how much it costs to have your own car, insurance, and gas. It, it, it's it's actually substantially cheaper to have a zip car. So mm. it's a, it's a cost savings. It's a multi multimodal multimodal yeah. um, choice option that just makes sense. So getting rid of your car isn't necessarily swearing off cars. Period. It's just a matter of choosing what makes sense. We have a new semester coming up at the university. Mm-hmm. All the kids are going to the students are going to be storming back. I remember going home. Coming back, and I remember the first summer that I stayed in San Marcos when I was a student, it was like a ghost town here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're kind of seeing that right now, right? The town has kind of slowed down a little bit, especially the downtown area. So it really slows down in the summer. Um, but for you, when the students come back, what are your what are your what are your goals going to be for the honors college? What are some things that you want to accomplish this this coming semester in the fall? My goal for new students is always to make them feel welcome. These are these are students who um, are talented, smart, motivated. Um, they've made a choice to come to Texas State, and we want to make them feel welcome in the Honors College. I think that's a big, big thing that we want to do. Um, but we also, you know, we also want them to think about their life. You know, they are agents. They have the ability to choose what makes sense in, in their life. They're living away from their parents. Many of them, they're having to think about the decisions they make without that that constant influence all the time. So um, encouraging them to think about what they do, what they decide, where they go, um, how they live their life. I think those are those are important conversations. And not being afraid to try things and see how they work out. Uh, I, I teach a university seminar class and do this with my students all the time. I you know I have a, assignments where you know next week you have to fail at something. It doesn't have to be a huge like life altering thing, but you have to you have to see what it's like. Or like, what are your limits? Mm. Um, what interests you? You know, if it's a certain topic in in class, like read more than you have to read to see where you get bored. You know, find find what your failure points are and then explore why, and that will help you figure out what kind of life you want to live. So, I mean, at least as far as transit, I would say don't assume you have to take the car. 
you know, if you're just, if you're going downtown, you're going out to eat or whatever, see what it's like to take the bus. Maybe you've never taken a bus before. I know when I was a freshman in college, I had never taken a bus. And I suspect that there are a lot of suburban kids who are, who are now living maybe for the first time in their life in a, in a walkable, bikeable community. So what is that like? What is it like to go out with your friends on a bike instead of in a car and to walk home instead of drive home in the evening? Um, it kind of changes your relationship to your community. You experience it in a different way. Well, Peter, thanks so much for coming on the show, and uh, I'll see you soon. Thank you. All right, thanks. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the San Marco Scoop. If you like what you hear, please subscribe so you're notified when episodes are released every single Friday. You can find us on SoundCloud, the Apple Podcast app, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts by searching San Marco Scoop. As always, guys, thank you all so much for the time and support, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>